Hi, welcome to season six, episode three of our podcast and video series about ROI or what we call return on investment or ROI. Um, I'm Mary Abazia, Tom Spitali, and Sean Wellen. We're all with Impact Planning Group. And uh, today we're really going to focus a bit more on the time frame of ROI. Um, and the reason is, is if you think about Saturn, um, General Motors had launched a very successful um, product campaign, and a couple of years in, all of a sudden, they they said, "You guys you now have to um, be more. Uh, you have to return on our investment more quickly." So they pretty much killed something because they were short-sighted in their time frame. So the question is, you know, how do I? Uh, have my company help focus in on a time frame, especially when everything is so short-term driven. So who wants to take this one? Wow, this is a volunteer. So I volunteered Tom to take it, if that's Okay, how. Tom, you go. All right. I do have some thoughts on it, actually. Okay. Um, I, I think it's uh, marketing's responsibility to kind of proactively shift this dialogue a little bit. And I think there's a specific way that they can do that. I think this concept of lifetime value of a customer is something that is a little bit to a lot underrated in, in B2B. You know, when we, when we think about a short-term return on investment, we tend to think about, you know, in the time period measure, did we bring enough revenue to cover the costs? And I, you know, it's a good, it's a good discipline, but it, it's, it, there's, there's got to be a more broader thought process there. Because every time you bring on a new customer, if your company has got a, a fundamentally sound product and good service, what you're hoping is, is that initial sale isn't all. That there's a, you know, a lifetime quote of revenue um, that comes behind that initial buy. And um, it, it's worth it for marketers to both measure that and try to figure out every time we bring on a new customer, how long do they stay with us? How often do they buy? Um, to, to start to, to understand both long-term returns and educating the, the business that we shouldn't be so short-term focused, um, but, but, but also to begin to understand what can you spend to bring on a customer? Right. And, and if you, a funny thing will happen too, if you start thinking that way, I think the, the business automatically stops having such a short term mentality about serving customers. They start to think about what else can we sell them? How, you know, how can we be nicer to them, you know, so that they want to keep doing business with us. So I think that, that it's up to marketing to begin to um, lead this charge around lifetime value if it isn't something that's being measured at your company. And it can help to take that pressure off that short-term return on investment um, mentality that a lot of companies have. I totally agree with the, the lifetime value and, and, and broaden that concept out to understand the, uh, the, the value not only in, in onward and future purchases, but also in, uh, in referrals and in the, the general sense that, that the more people that are using your product, the more mainstream it becomes. So you've got that sort of networking effect with lifetime value as well. I think the other thing to look at in addition to that is the, is the sort of brand value. You know, we think of brand as a very much a consumer proposition. Generally speaking, we associate brands with the stuff we see on the supermarket shelves, but every business has, has got a brand. And, and while the consumer companies spend a fortune on brand awareness, 
with measurements like brand recognition and brand recall, start to factor that in because these are leading indicators of the, the, the return on your marketing investment. You know, if you, and I don't care if you're in the, the plant hire business or you're selling forklift trucks or you're selling axle grease, it doesn't matter if your particular brand is on the mind of your target customer and is associated with the, the positioning that you've taken, whatever that is, that is the gift that keeps giving. It's the sustainability aspect. You can, you can do short-term promotions all day long and get results, which is the risk of focusing on short-term ROI measures is always saying this campaign cost this and it gave us this. Make sure that, that we're also building those leading indicators that enough of your target population is aware of you, hopefully can recall your brand unaided, at the very least can recognize your brand when presented with it and you've become top of mind those are things that that have huge long-term value but don't show up in the short-term metrics so much it's it's a it's a it's a race without an end there's no finish line to marketing it's it's uh it's ongoing yeah i you know it isn't one of the more sexy parts of marketing when you talk about this but it is one of the more powerful parts of it and i think getting people to align around what those expectations are with the return on investment is critical i mean if you think about kodak you know, they were, they were dripping in money with film. And so if anyone came to them with, you know, well, they did. They said, hey, we got this digital thing. And if you look at the numbers, if you looked at the return on investments, you know, it was obvious that they would say, it's clearly not meeting our, our high expectations that we have on film. So why would, we, why would we ever think about doing this? And so I think there is a really good bad case of looking back and saying, you know, you have to, to project out and have a different set of expectations for different scenarios, perhaps, or different worlds, because there would be no reason to go to digital camera if you just focused in on how high your return on investment was with, with the film. So. Well, I think, I think that, that story is really powerful and trying to bridge together that, what you're saying, Mary, with what Sean is saying about, about brand measures. I, and brand equity, you know, the brand, the, the building brand is important. You know, um, it's important to try to come up with that metric, whether it's net promoter score or some kind of um, measure of how what you're doing recently is impacting positively or negatively your brand equity. Again, consumer brands do a lot of this and B2B brands really don't do enough. But in a case like Kodak, even though the returns you know, on, a, on an innovative pathway were less than their traditional business, uh, I think that if they had their finger on the pulse of how customers are feeling about some of these innovative new pathways and, and is, is, you know, if we go down this path, what this, is, is this gonna positively or negatively impact our brand? They probably would have seen that customers were interested in these innovative new things and it probably would have you know, increased um, their, their brand equity. So bringing that in, into consideration, typically not measured in that short term return on investment. You know, I have to say, I almost agree with you, but not quite. Um, just because in my base these days, um, we were watching these new technologies come about. And 
there's a very small group that's like, oh, this is, this is the right next thing. And they were excited about it. But there were so many people that held on, in this case, held on to, to the old you know, film because they too, if you, if you measured their, their typical customers, they, they didn't want the change. Um, there was a small group, and as we know, you know, as over time that that um, there's a migration and more people accept that change. But it really is you have to go and look at those cutting edge or bleeding edge to measure what they see as potential um, excitement to be able to say, yes, we need to put our money in this area and and have a different expectation on our return on investment than what our core business is. So you kind of set aside two buckets of expectations perhaps mm, yeah well, i think it's important to yeah mary that's a great point you're right you got me to reconsider what i just Sorry. said so, good job. <laughs> so um but but I, I i do i do think that it, it brings into play you know so how, how do you innovate how do you know if an innovation is going to to be successful when large swaths of your you know traditional base might say no nah, i don't i don't want that or i don't i don't get it I don't get it, and I, th I think it's it's important to to have something that we've talked about on on other other calls here, other podcasts, where you have to have a trend discipline, and it, it's the tricky part of actually trying to put yourself into the shoes of how your customers are going to feel in the future world. You know, yes, certain trends happen, and um, you know, try to get a sense for how they're going to change before maybe they even do. Makes innovation really tricky. But if you don't do this, then you end up like Kodak. Sean, what do you think about um, Tom's point about the innovation, and how do you how do you frame that within? It's uh, you know you, you've got to be you've got to take a, a, a long term view with innovation. You've, you've got to be looking at how the market's going to be in the future. That probably goes without saying, but. But sometimes the, the, the full benefit of those innovations take a while to throw off the sort of returns that might get you excited today. So there's a little bit of hedging your bets involved in innovation. We can all look over the horizon and try and guess where the market might be going, what technologies might be coming, what some pioneers are currently doing. Um, but it is the most difficult thing for, for most businesses to do because once you're established in your market, it's all about efficiency. You know, it's getting that product to market. It's all about getting that, that, uh, that reputation for, for reliability. It, it's all about having a degree of certainty. Innovation is always disruptive to some extent, and you end up having to disrupt yourself. We've talked about this before, about this destroy your own business mindset. And I think when you look at it that way, I think it helps because if you're always protecting the here and now, most people would accept logically that's that's a very short-term uh, thing. That's not going to give you long-term success because things will change. So when you look at innovation, you, you've got to look at it not only in terms of the short-term returns. You've got to look at the long-term. And to factor that, you've got to figure out how the current situation will change. If you're no longer getting these massive returns on this current product because of disruption, that's not the benchmark anymore. The benchmark is what the future will be like. So it's, it's really, really tough. But if you're not looking over that horizon, you, 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 you can't stand still. You know, that's yeah. the thing. Not, not right. only is the race without a finish line, if you stop, you'll never catch up again. 
you know. My favorite example of that, um, Sean, is uh, we were one of our medical device companies was very successful. And a guy over in the legal group said, I think we're getting way too comfortable. And he kind of called a mandate. He said, I want to have a disruption session. And um, they got some very young thinkers in the company and old thinkers in the company and got them together and had them really explore different industries to say, what if some of these technologies, how do we think about the future of our world very different than today? We may not even exist in 10 years. How do we, how do we think different about it? And then they got customers reaction to it. Not just any customer, but customers that were more forward thinking to weigh in and go, hmm. And I think then they went back and looked at some models, some mathematical models to say, which of these then should we at least put some of our energy against with a very different expectation of what might happen in the future. And you know, it's, we look back and some people say, I can't believe that the legal guy did that. But thank goodness that he did. And he got you know over 30 people in the company to weigh in and, and make some pretty big claims, which a couple they're actually pursuing now. So. It is possible for other, you know, marketing doesn't have to carry this on its own. You can have finance be your friend or legal and make sure that they're, they're a part of this big question. So what you say, Mary, when in doubt, ask a lawyer. I think that's the takeaway. <laughs> At least have a lawyer as a friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's generally good advice uh, for life anyway, I think. You Tom? Probably. Well, I think it brings it into it, the, the whole the whole discussion about innovation and ROI is super interesting because even let's take that situation, Mary, you know, that we experienced together with the, the, the lawyer and some really, really great ideas that came out of that session that he that he called. Frankly, uh, probably most of those ideas will fail. Some of them will probably be the future of the of the company. Some of them will save the company. But how do you, you know, from a return on investment standpoint, you know, I think it's an interesting question how you navigate through those failures. Um, because if you're just strictly looking for, for winners, you, you, you know, you may never attempt some of the innovative ideas that you need to try, you know? So what do you do? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you navigate through that? And how do you fail from an ROI standpoint and live to, to tell about it. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think the, uh, there's a couple of big bear traps here that I, I've come across. I, I used to have a, a boss that whenever we were starting a project, he would say, if you're going to go ugly, go ugly early. That was his famous phrase, which was, if this isn't going to work, let's find out soonest. And that's, that's pretty good advice. But it, I think it's wrongheaded because I often hear people use this uh, this little phrase of, of fail early, fail often, you know, that historically failure is not okay. We like success. We don't like failure. People avoid it. And that conventionally means we're not taking sufficient risk. We're not being sufficiently innovative. And the conventional wisdom is therefore take more risk. That has to come with it's okay to fail. Now, where I think this goes wrong is we shouldn't be encouraging people to fail often and fail early. We should be encouraging people to experiment and learn and iterate. Because I think failure, to me, sounds too much like it's, it's the end of the road. But often, in the ashes of a, of a project that didn't go as maybe you intended, there are, there are parts of it that can feed into the next generation. So I always try and encourage people to say, don't, don't, 
don't think of failing as a, a, and succeeding as a binary choice because in reality you will you will succeed over time by having these minor course corrections along the way i don't like to think of them as failures as much as it goes back to that edison thing isn't it of, of i never failed i just found nine thousand ways not to make a light bulb that sort of attitude of saying we now learn something we can take forward so my advice to people is is don't think of it as failing don't try to fail and, and certainly don't try and do it often but accept that it will happen but it is a process of iteration and learning and, and reapplication. So well, yeah, I'm with you on this, John, but I think that there has to be the numbers part of that. You know, it's it what is failure um, is part of that question. And you know, when we're going to fail, is it because we couldn't make the product or the service, you know, or um, or is it that the numbers, no matter how we looked at it, didn't work? And that, that's what we're hoping is, is that as people experiment, there's a calculator nearby that they're always, even if it's a very low, low ROI in the beginning, you know, they can show the upside in Horizon 2 or Horizon 3. So that it's not an immediate failure, but more if we keep doing this, as you're saying, iterating, our ROI will get better or we can adjust these things so that we can improve our margins on this. And I think that's really true. And I, I, I probably should emphasize that when I say don't think about failing, think of it as a learning opportunity, that sounds a little bit trite. And in reality, you sometimes will make a horrendous failure where there is nothing to be gained other than the, the, the lesson not to do that ever again, or to maybe think what could we have done to have understood that was going to fail. So yes, you will get horrendous um failures occasionally that's that's that comes with the territory of experimenting uh but yeah but make sure and, and, and i agree you've got to have that 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 iterative curious mindset and the numbers are important you can't just keep spinning your wheels until something happens we're not scientists i guess i guess that's the preserve of people who can just think up things on a whim we have to have a, a at least a structure of, of why we're doing something and what we anticipate happening. And that's where the numbers come in clearly. Well, I think it's, it, it's even broader than the numbers. I think it's an experimental discipline that you've got to have. Um, I think that marketing can take the lead on this in certain situations, certain companies where you're positioned, where there's not enough experimentation going on. I think, you know, if marketing can, can set out, um, you know, that kind of experimental discipline, what are we going to measure? What are the variables here? You know, what are we going to test and, and what's potentially, you know, the, the, the next stage after we, we learn from this, you know, the business can start to get an understanding that if we do indeed fall short here, we know where we're going to go next, what we're going to try next. And, 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 and that we're going, and maybe if a lesson comes from somewhere besides our variables, we're going to, we're going to learn that as well. And, and taking it even further, you know, marketing needs to be buttoned up on the, on the experimental design, if you will, of what they want to want to test. I think it needs to be presented as, um, you know, as a, as a portfolio, you know, in other words, there's, you know, there's a portfolio of things going on here. Some of them are experimental, but they're not the majority of what we're doing. The majority of what we're doing is we're trying to, you know, um, you know, 80% of what we're doing is, is, is basically, you know, uh, not what we would call experimental. 20% um, of what we're doing or 20% of our budget or 10% of our budget is, is, is truly experimental. And, 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 but this could lead to 
the big things that you know um, that 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 float our business's boat in in the future. I think just all that communication uh, is is really important to get the company to shift to have a little bit more of an experimental uh, mindset. And we should also say, I know it's uh, it's not that common, but the, the serendipity that when when things just happen, you know, that, that some failures can actually spark a biz, bigger success. That the uh, uh, the precursor of Viagra failed as a blood pressure medication, right? So, you know, you've also got to say when you are experimenting and pushing boundaries, what you learn isn't always, oh, we got that a little bit wrong. We can make it a little bit better. Sometimes you kick open a whole new door that goes, wow, hang on a minute. We've just stumbled into something because we're always pushing forward. And I think that should always be taken into account. I think you'd be a brave person to ask for a massive research budget on the, on the off chance that you discover a blockbuster. But remember that that is consequence of experimenting. Failure can sometimes lead to a success way in excess of what you were planning originally. So always be optimistic and, uh, and curious. Love it. Wow. Um, well, we hope that you have uh, heard or seen a couple of things here that uh, will give you some ideas about what you might try in your own business. Um, you can find all our podcasts on the Accidental Marketer uh, site. And then also we have, um, of course, on YouTube and on SoundCloud, we have our podcasts. So uh, please let us know if you have any thoughts on anything that we, uh, that we share with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.